Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing, and now you're trying to feed him your body. Thou shalt kill all of your friends. And a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage. Ain't right to bubble pages and pretend like you wear a dog. Wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Carly. She's the blonde. Hi. It's Katie's birthday. All right, everybody. And it's her birthday. You know, we told her, hey. don't even worry about it. She might start. She might drop in. I don't know. But honestly, I don't blame her because this is the conclusion of our series on Bob Durst for the third week in a row. Our first three-parter. And I think I never want to do one again. Stay in a month with this guy. Oh, cool. So of course, when we last left Bob, he had just incriminated himself on the jinx and he was arrested in New Orleans in 2015, like Carly told us. At the time of his arrest, he was estimated worth a hundred million dollars. Just a cool hundred mil. It's fine. Like you're not just a millionaire then, right? But you're not quite a billionaire. When you're a millionaire, there's like obviously tiers, right? Like within the 1% like of people, they're a millionaire, but they're only like a 5 million millionaire. And then there's like the hundred thou, and then there's like the closer to billions. You know what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. I feel like they're going to be very like snooty about their their tears of millionaireship. Yeah. Like if there's any millionaires listening to this podcast, (laughs) please let us know like the social order of millionaires, because I do, I feel like it's not, it's different. It's not, he's not worth 5 million. He's worth a hundred million. That's right. Seems like a lot. So he does. He appears in court in March of 2015 and he waives his right to fight extradition. So he's going to be sent to California to be tried for the murder of Susan Berman. And he immediately retains Dick DeGaron. Dick Again, DeGaron. you'll remember him from the trial of Morris Black. He immediately makes a statement. Bob did not murder Susan Berman. And he is eager to defend himself in court. I mean, like, why wouldn't he get Dick DeGaron back? You know what I mean? Look at oh, how Oh, yeah. Did a pretty Morris's good job trial. last time. You know, he did yeah. a pretty stand-up job for Bob. Yeah. Yeah. This trial, when it actually ended up happening, happened right after the trial of Derek Chauvin. They were like back to back. It was like the Chauvin trial and the murder of George Floyd. And then the Bob Durst trial, the murder of Susan Berman. I watched a lot of the Chauvin trial on, I think it's called law and crime network mm, on mm-hmm. YouTube. They have mm-hmm. like a, whatever, a channel. Yeah. Um, they're great. They just stream court recordings. It's great. And I watched Jerry selection for Bob's trial. And I was shocked when I saw Bob. Yeah. And we're going to get definitely get into why. But when you look at his mugshot from Galveston and then you look at him in 2015, it is shocking. It is. I will. I'll give you that. During the discovery process for this trial and thanks to the public court record and transcripts, we know a lot more about the things that Bob was doing in the moments where we pretty much just thought he was sitting around being weird because he's Bob. (laughs) Like he he was was. actually doing that. (laughs) He was definitely doing that and also a lot of other things. So we find out that from 1994 to 2006, 
Bob was waging a campaign against his brother, Doug, with the company's shareholders, Dougie Fresh, again, trying to get control of the Durst organization and of the family trust. All of this, this has been underscored for 12 years. By the time we get to 2006, he has been actively trying, which is, I don't understand this. Me neither. Is it just to fuck with Doug? Honestly, that's what I think, because he obviously doesn't actually want the position and the responsibilities of Mm -hmm. what that entails, but he just doesn't want fucking Doug to have it either. Like he just doesn't. Yeah. Because he's obviously not hurting for money or anything else. No, he doesn't have have to do anything. He doesn't have to work. Investigators get a little bit into what might have prompted this. Mm -hmm. But when I read that, I was just like, why? So by the time we're in 2002, like we said in the last episode, Bob signs over power of attorney to Deborah. Four years later, he does. He cashes in his chips and he pulls $65 million out of the trust and he gives 20 million of it to Deb. I mean, so essentially a third. He gave her a third. Yeah. You could argue that your spouse should have half of anything that you have because it's no, like- it makes it look even <laughs> more shady. I mean, but like, like even more shady. It's like, wait, <laughs> what? Like like the amount You're- is still extra like astronomical. Like yeah. it was just but it's but- like a business partner. It is. It's like you're giving her a fee. Yes, like it's her fee. So then we start to see kind of the breadth of the properties that Bob owned. His family's real estate family. So we really have absolutely no idea how many properties he actually owns. Or at least has access to. Because even if he doesn't own them, he probably could get into them if he wanted. So we start to see that we don't really know how many properties he actually has. But since the late 2000s, he has bought and sold multi-million dollar properties in Houston, Texas, Trinidad, California, Harlem, New Orleans, and Galveston. Like a lot of properties in Galveston, which is crazy to me because he's living in this $300 a month (laughs) apartment dressed as a woman all while doing multi-million dollar deals on homes. Like none of it makes any sense. No. Like his whole everything. Oh, okay. So then Bob's busy. He's got a lot going on here. He's out of the trust. He's living his life, but I guess he's still obsessed with his brother because in 2012 and 2013, he legitimately starts stalking Doug. He is arrested for trespassing on Doug's property. He's walking up to the front of the house. He's looking in the windows. There's some footage of him doing it in the janks. I mean, completely defiant. He's also doing it at other family members' houses and they're all taking out restraining orders against him and Doug has security and the whole thing. And he is, he's arrested for trespass on Doug's property in specific. He's charged with several counts of trespass because he's done it multiple times. It's on tape and he's doing it at other places. Goes to trial in 2014, acquitted on all counts and they vacate all of the restraining orders against him. I mean, this is right before this is three years before he's going to start saying that he's too frail to come to court. Yeah. So think about that. But what's up with them just dismissing it and vacating all of the whatever? And he's not he was acquitted like he was right. They didn't just get rid of it prior, you know, in some settlement like they acquitted. I I mean, he got away with admitting to chopping up Morris Black's body. Like that's my one point that I will just never will never leave my brain if he can get away with that nothing yeah. else shocks you're me. right 
You're you totally know? right. Ugh. Well, this might shock you. In 2014, <laughs> he turns himself in to the police in Houston, Texas, after an incident at the CVS. He exposed himself in oh. CVS without provocation and urinated on a rack of candy and then just walked out <laughs> casually of CVS and took Why? himself to the police. Why? It's the Wegmans. It's the sub in the Wegmans. Yes. Like, why? Is it like just to fuck with people? Is it just because he can? I think, it- yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be because he, goes he can. And- but then he turns himself in. I, re- I don't think he's insane. I no, really don't. But like, I think either. he knows exactly what he's doing, but it is. It's bizarre. And he has no self-control, right? This is, we're yeah. just, I mean, we obviously see that now. He's yeah. going up to Doug's door, taking a piss in the middle of the CVS. <laughs> like they all get this way, right? Yeah. They all get yeah. to the point of like, I can do anything I want. I'm invincible. No mm-hmm. one can catch me. So by the time we get to the conditional hearing in 2017, we have a secret witness that comes forward and he insists that Bob confessed to him that he killed Susan Berman. And we are actually going to hear more from this witness in trial. And from this point on, we see a solid three years of delays. So much material to go through. So both sides are going, we need more time. We need more time. And that's normal in major trials. But by the time we get to 2020, of course, nobody's doing anything in 2020 because nobody can do anything. So again, we get postponed. And it's in 2020 that we find out through Dick DeGaran that Bob has bladder cancer. And they motion, allegedly, we don't know, truly we don't know. And they motion to postpone indefinitely because of this diagnosis. And the judge is like, nah, no. And he actually starts, the trial starts on June 14th of 2021. So we have the prosecutor, John Lewis, who's a district attorney for LA County. He comes right out and says in pretrial, I think Bob is faking numerous medical diagnosis in order to get a mistrial. Because he would. He, uh, he definitely would. So as we know from the first episode, no signs of forced entry into Susan's home when she was found. Prosecution in their opening statement argued this is because Susan knew exactly who was at the door. She knew her killer. She trusted her killer enough to just let him into the house. And turn her back on him in a different room. And they said this person obviously is Bob Durst. They said that he had killed his wife, Kathy Durst, over 30 years earlier. And Susan helped him develop an alibi. They said that he actually had Susan call the medical school that Kathy was attending. This is the phone call. Prosecution says that was Susan Berman. She did that for him, pretending to be Kathy, you know, and buying Bob more time, essentially. When he found out, this is this is huge. Got to remember this. October 31st, 2000. He uses this in the Morris Black trial. This comes up again in his second trial. When he found out that New York was opening the Kathy Durst case in October of 2000, he decided to murder Susan to keep her quiet so that she could never reveal what she knew. They accuse him of writing the cadaver note, but at this point, Bob's defense team had admitted that he wrote the cadaver note. Yeah. They called Bob a gold medalist in running from the truth. <laughs> Which is pretty good. That is good. It's a pretty good lawyer joke. We find out that when he was arrested in New Orleans, he was wearing a latex mask that, quite frankly, looks exactly like Morris Black. Yeah. Like a Mrs. Doubtfire-esque mask. 
Like we are talking about a full on latex, cover your face, change, distort your facial features, the hair, everything. And they hold this mask up and it is just the stuff of nightmares. It really is. is. And so of course they get into witnesses and Dougie Fresh right there to just say, oh, Bob, so good to see you. Yeah. You remember when you (laughs) waged that battle against me for 12 years and remember how you've messed with me my whole life? Watch this. He gives testimony. That's very compelling. Doug's, he's pretty good on the stand. He says, quote, he'd like to murder me. I hired security today. I have fear that my brother has threatened to kill me and I have fear that he may have the means to do so. And honestly, he didn't even really want to be there, did he? Like no, at trial. Like no. he didn't really want to have to testify because he was just like scared, honestly, for his yeah, family and I himself. Mean, yeah. And like they have to bring in all the trespass and all the restraining orders and all these things that the family is afraid of him, let alone a friend of his or somebody else. Right. And they had they needed him. Yeah, between him and the best friend Nick, without those two testimonies. Yeah, we probably wouldn't know. we probably wouldn't yeah. have it. And so, yeah, just like Carly's saying, we get testimony from Nick Chavin. He is the secret witness that was revealed in grand jury proceedings. 72 years old, mutual friend of Susan Berman, met Bob through Susan Berman. He's the one who says that Bob confessed to him. Wasn't Bob the best man at his wedding? Yes. But like, I'm sorry. I know. I know. know. Who was like, you know, who should be my best man? You know, who will make me really good in the tux? You know, who should do the best man speech at our wedding. Can you imagine? I don't know what people see in Bob. I I still, I'm still grasping at straws. He had to have been a charmer. I just don't know how. We've just never seen it or have had to see it because he's never had to charm us. I don't know what, I I can't imagine him in a wedding party. It was probably terrible. A poor maid of honor. That's probably a good story for them as a couple, Nick and his wife, to be like, remember when you made my best friend walk down the aisle with a literal murderer? A literal serial killer. Thanks for that. So he does. He meets him in the 70s through Susan. He was the best man at Nick's wedding. Nick was actually quoted in the New York Times in 2001 saying Bobby didn't kill Kathy. He said that to the Times. But this time he testified in court that he knew Kathy was physically afraid of Bob. No question. He also said that Bob often called Kathy, quote, impossible and told Nick that they had a straight up open relationship. He and Nick would go out while Bob was married to Kathy and meet women. Can we just pause here real quick? Can we just pause here really, really quick? I just need a quick Look up a picture of Kathy Durst right now. Beautiful. This woman is at home and you are going to go out and meet randos. Like she's uh, smart as hell too. Smart as hell. Like, I'm sorry. Is it worse to like know Bob more and like choose to have him in your wedding be charmed by him? Or is it worse to be like, have a quick conversation with him and like possibly have a one night stand he knew bob was a shit heel i mean we're seeing this he was acting this way in the 70s and 80s like we know that he's a slime so something else that comes out is there's a woman who worked for nick chavin who testifies that she went to galveston in 2003 to visit bob while he was being held for the murder of morris black she said that her and bob were platonic friends okay but he had given her $350,000 and they talked about having a quote love nest together. Oh, I need some Pepto. $350,000 for what? What could possibly 
possibly like there's just nothing there's nothing but doing some sort of personal favor yeah. that you can't talk about that's all he does is has these women in the wings mm-hmm. pay them off to help yep. him in the quick moment whenever he needs to call upon them exactly so, and yeah. interestingly she is the person who delivered the documents to Jarecki. So she probably sanitized all that shit and took everything out that could possibly be construed as whatever. And that's Mm -hmm. what he paid her for. But like, how does that start? Like, was it Nick's doing in any way? It has to be. At the time? It has to have been, It has to be. Like, there's just no way someone who works for you is just going to show up. Mm -mm. No, it's got to be through Nick. He does eventually testify that at dinner in 2014, Bob confessed to murdering Susan. He said, quote, I had to, it was her or me. I had no choice. So the defense, what are they going to do here in this situation? This is a little, this is a might bit tougher than the case of Morris Black. They get into extensive testimony about false memory. They bring in Dr. Elizabeth Loftus. She basically dissects all of the witnesses for the prosecution. She basically goes up one side of them and down the other and is like, nope, your memory is not that reliable. So they're attacking basically the stories that are being told specifically from Doug and Nick Chavin. But there were like 80 witnesses in total. And just they're all, they're determining that all of them didn't remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So they call Bob and Bob is on the stand for 14 days. Basically the district attorney spends a lot of the time just going over every time Bob slide, just being like, Hey, you remember that time that you went to the Wegmans, Bob, do you recall this? And <laughs> you had a sub. You remember that? And he says, yes, I do. And he goes, Hey, you didn't pay for that sub, right? No, I didn't. You know, no, it's, it's literally like hours of that under oath, getting him to admit you can't trust a single thing that I say, anything that I've done. It's all lies. Remember the time um, you pissed on some candy at CBS? <laughs> Remember that time that you just dropped your pants in the CVS? Remember that, Bob? He actually corners him and gets him to admit that he did lie on the stand in the trial for the murder of Morris Black multiple times. He also gets him to say on five separate occasions that he's lied during his testimony at the current trial. They charge the jury on September 14th and they start deliberating. And on September 17th, Bob is found guilty of the murder of Susan Berman. Like it could very well have not ended that way. Yeah, very. it's easily. really true. He is facing life imprisonment and that is exactly what he gets because that's what you get in California when you commit first degree premeditated murder <laughs> yeah. is you get life without the possibility of parole. And that's what he got on October 14th of 2021. Now was his wife anywhere to be found at this trial? Nope. No, no not even Never. around. You because know? again, it's it's got more to do with what they're financially, the yeah. financial relationship there. So shortly after he was convicted, this is October 14th of 2021. So this is last month. A lawyer for Kathy Durst's family sends a letter to the New York district attorney claiming that Bob's marriage to Deborah was a sham. He used it to hide murders and financial crimes and to conceal those crimes specifically to frustrate the investigation into Kathy's disappearance. In other words, they're alleging that Everything that Bob Durst has done since October 31st of 2000, when he finds out that they're reopening Kathy's case, has been done not out of insanity, not out of necessity, like Bob himself says, but deliberately to keep the cops looking in so many different directions that they divert the attention away from Kathy. 
totally that's like playing <laughs> chess with fuck it like with it's it's like a that's the queen's mind game shit. yeah yes for sure total mental gymnastics mind game going on which and this again is the same dude pissing on skittles and cbs like can it uh, doesn't it just doesn't match up but again he's just if he's just trying to be ridiculous and normalize I, being ridiculous they don't really have anything he's always been like this Right. Like this is just how he behaves. They want the district attorney to investigate these crimes. They want Bob charged as a bigamist because Deb is married to another person. And I know that he he passed in 2019, but the New York Times obituary at his funeral, she is listed as his wife. So like, what are we doing? They want him charged. They want him charged as a bigamist. All of these things. Charge all the things. On Monday, November 1st of 2021, last Monday, Bob was indicted for the murder of Kathy Durst after 39 years of her being quote unquote disappeared. I couldn't even, I was cheering. I was was like, finally, as you can imagine, her friends and family are completely overwhelmed with emotion because this has been an insanely long time coming. Unfortunately, her ride or die, Gilberta, who broke into the Salem house, who stole trash. (laughs) Ride or die. Kathy's absolute ride or die. She passed in 2015 while waiting for an organ transplant. She actually started a charity called Kathy's Place. That's in Danbury, Connecticut. It's a safe haven for domestic violence victims. And she asked in her memory, please become an organ donor. Please donate to Kathy's charity to help women and children who are victims of domestic violence. She never got to see him charged for her murder, which is terrible. However, Kathy's big brother, Jim made a public statement yesterday, taking the case totally different direction. Both Jim and Kathy's family attorney alleged that Bob Durst was not charged for 39 years, not because of a lack of evidence, but because of a fucking cover-up. Okay, they're go- They're going there. Yeah. They are going there and then some. They called out prosecutorial cowardice, misconduct, and legit corruption. Like, not just, oh, they're corrupt. Like, just saying, like, the, the crime of corruption, like yeah. charge them with corruption. The attorney said the family is going to start releasing evidence of the cover up and they zeroed in on Janine Pirro. Janine, oh. Who's a former Westchester DA and Dougie Fresh and the Durst Doug. organization. Oh, yeah, both Yikes. of them. They mentioned that they had a meeting, Doug and Janine Pirro, at a Manhattan restaurant in 2003. Pirro's mentor was George Pataki, who's the Mm -hmm. former governor of New York State. Around the same time as this dinner, Pataki gets a $400,000 endorsement from Doug and the Durst organization. The same exact nucleus of time. They say that this cover-up has led to the death of several innocent people, namely Susan and Morris, who we know that he killed. Yeah. But, you know, we're going to get into who else he might have killed. If that's true and they held off, they have blood on their hands. Yeah. 100% because they have allowed him to just live out his life. It's crazy. It's like a millionaire life. Yeah. All because they don't want to lose the financial tie Uh to 
the the premier real estate developer. I'm sorry. And you can't tell me that the Durst organization just gives a monetary donation with all of their prime real estate that they have. Like, you know, damn no. well that they are shelling out places here and there. Hooking people up. Offices, yep. whatever. Please. Absolutely. So Bob Durst, we know he's responsible for the death of Kathy. Okay. We feel that he's responsible for the death of Kathy. I think we're in agreement on that. He's convicted of murdering Susan Berman. He admits to killing Morris Black, though he was not found legally responsible. Is it possible that he is guilty of other crimes? Do you think? Yes, I do. I'm going straight for yes. First of all, seven Igors. Yeah. Okay. At least seven Igors. And we have some prime examples of people that he may have had something to do with their disappearance or murder. Carly's going to start us off with Lynn Schultz. She was an 18-year-old Vermont college student. She disappeared in 1971. She shopped at All the Good Things Health Food Store, owned by not only our Robert Durst, the day that she went missing. On the day she was there. That's literally all I need. So this is the health food store that he owned in Vermont. Yep. Back in the day, back Back when he and Kathy are first getting together. Lynn was a freshman at Middlebury College in Middlebury, Vermont. She was last seen December 10th, 1971. It was the first day of the final exams before the Christmas break started. Obviously, she was a freshman at college. When she was not at college, she would often go home to Simsbury, Connecticut, see her family. She liked to write. She had a journal that she wrote in every day, and she liked to go hiking on the weekends. But the day that she went missing, Lynn apparently stopped at the local health food store, all the good things. She bought dried prunes. And she was last seen by a fellow student eating the dried prunes outside the store around 1230 PM. Now, apparently somewhere she said she was going to take the bus to New York, but the bus had already left. So that really didn't make any sense there. Now her college roommate told police that she she actually saw Lynn around 1245 before she was supposed to take one of her final exams for the semester at one o'clock. It was for her English drama class that she had studied for like really hard. She did really well in the class. She was definitely going to go to the final and ace it. But apparently Lynn either left her wallet or possibly her favorite pen behind in her dorm. So she ended up going back to get the whatever it was. And she never ended up arriving at the final exam. Not normal. Not normal at all. So at 2.15 p.m. that same day, Lynn was seen standing on Court Street, which is across the street from All Good Things Health Food Store, the bus stop where she has been seen earlier. And this technically is the last time anyone ever saw or heard from her. Also left behind was her ID, her checkbook, and all of her personal belongings. So her going to New York and just, she may have been carrying possibly $30 cash with her and like, that's it. So when she didn't go to her class, her roommate didn't see her, campus security was alerted to her disappearance two days later so they gave her a couple days she was a campus security was alerted but her own parents weren't notified for a week after she disappeared holy shit are you kidding me like i don't care what goes on like i know it was the 70s you don't have cell phones to contact someone every day but like yeah but no that no things have been left slipping through the cracks that's not okay according to family and friends lynn was acting normally before she disappeared she didn't seem to be depressed or stressed out 
out. Like she took her classes very seriously, especially the English drama one that she was supposed to go for that final exam that day. She had perfect attendance before this. Again, she had studied very hard for that exam. Like she was going to attend, but never made it. But on the other side, Lynn had mentioned once in a while that the idea of faking her own death and starting like a new life kind of like sparked her interest a little bit, but her friends never really took her seriously. And then in letters she wrote back to her family and friends back home, she admitted that she felt homesick and she had considered withdrawing from school. But I feel like that's very normal. She's a freshman in college. She's away from her family from like the first time ever. Of course, she's going to be homesick and think like, maybe this isn't for me. The faking her own death thing, I don't really know because we don't really know the full context. This is right after D.B. Cooper too. Like this is, D.B. Cooper is 1971 or whatever. Mm -hmm. He jumped out of a plane with a huge bag of cash and was never found again. And so he's like, is like in pop culture at that time. It was a huge, it was kind of like a thing to say. That's what I was going to say. You know what I mean? Like a little bit of a trope of like, you know. Wouldn't it be cool if I won the lottery and just could start a new life and no one ever heard from me ever again? You know, like whatever. Yes, exactly. But she did, you know, say it. So her friends at least they reported it. So like, that's Mm -hmm. good, but they didn't take it seriously. Even though she had like written in her letters, she was homesick or whatever. She never really indicated that she was planning on dropping out of school or really leaving college or anyone else before like the fall semester was over. Yeah. She just doesn't seem like it. No. And she had fully registered for her spring classes. So she was planning on being there. Lynn was known for hitchhiking from time to time, but it was the seventies and like, that's what people did. And it never seemed to cause her any problem before this. So like, it was like a lead that they thought about possibly playing a part, but several people made confessions of involvement in her case, but all of their statements turned out to be false. There's little evidence available to what actually happened to her, but her disappearance is obviously considered suspicious and her family believes that she probably died shortly after she was last seen. Police chief Tom Hanley said that Bob Durst is an interest of them in this case because obviously she was last seen at his fucking health food store the day she went missing. So Lynn's case had gone cold until it reopened again in 1992. And then in July of 2012, like think about this, like 1971, nothing reopened in 92, nothing. And then July, 2012, like that's a big it is jump. The detective working the case received an anonymous tip stating that Bob Durst owned a health food store in Middlebury around the time of her disappearance. Like maybe look into that a little bit further. So this like really solidified Bob becoming a person of interest because at the time, Kathy hadn't even gone missing yet. No, 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 You no. know, this so they be, really, again, if he did it, <laughs> he did it very successfully. He, he right. stayed free for a very long time. So it's right. possible that Kathy is not his first. Right. But either way, law enforcement was like, yes, we're putting Bob on the list. We want to talk to him about Lynn's disappearance. And unfortunately, both of Lynn's parents died in the 1990s, not knowing what happened to their daughter. But her sister is still alive and hopes for a resolution in her disappearance. But her case is still unsolved. And as far as I've seen and could find out, police have not actually spoken officially to Bob. Mm. It's out there in the media that they think like he could be connected, but they haven't actually interviewed him about it because he's really good at like having them look into other things and like talk about other stuff. And chase their tails for whatever other crime because he's just doing outrageous shit all over the country. But either way, Lynn Schultz is described as a white female. She would be 68 years old at the time of this recording. She was 5'3", 115 pounds with light brown hair and blue eyes. She did have pretty severe acne at the time of her disappearance. 
so she may have like scarring on her face now. She was last seen wearing a navy blue pullover sweater, a brown nylon ski parka, blue jeans, and hiking boots. And anyone with any information can call the Middlebury Police Department at 802-388-3191. What are the odds? I mean... Like, what are the odds that, again, just the last person to see everyone? But she's not the only one. Oh, there's more? There's more. Karen Mitchell. Karen Marie Mitchell. She was 16 years old and she was on her Thanksgiving holiday vacation from high school on November 25th of 1997 in Eureka, California. So that morning, Karen had spoken with her mom, Mary, on the phone. Like they're talking about college financial aid applications. And then she would leave to go to her job at the Coastal Family Development Center during that, like that afternoon. Now her aunt, Annie Casper, was her legal guardian at the time. And Annie owned a shoe store inside the Bayshore Mall. And the shopping center was about one mile, where the shoe store was, was about one mile away from Karen's daycare where she worked. Annie and Karen had actually ridden into town together to go to work. Karen had hung out at her aunt's shoe store for a little while before going to walk the one mile down to her job around 2.45. So Karen walked north on Broadway toward the daycare and was last seen walking towards West Sonoma Street shortly afterward, and she has never been seen again. A witness said that they think they saw Karen entering an unidentified light blue four-door sedan car, either a 76 to 78 model, possibly a Ford Granada, a Mercury Monarch, or a Nissan. We're not really sure. But the vehicle did have California license plates and had Eureka imprinted on the rear plates frame. And the driver of the car may sound a little familiar to you because it was described as a Caucasian male, approximately 60 to 70 years old with balding light gray or sandy blonde hair. And this man had green or gray eyes, a large size nose that appeared to have been previously broken. And he had a small build and possibly wore some uh, eyeglasses. And if you look at the sketch, the sketch is not great, but I definitely see where they can make the connection where it looks like a certain Bob Durst. Absolutely. Maybe even Bob Durst with a latex mask on. Yeah. So the driver is obviously one for questioning. The witness said that the car actually pulled across Broadway Street in front of them and nearly hit them before stopping for a girl matching Karen's description. With the exception of that one eyewitness who gave the composite sketch, no one has ever reported seeing or hearing from Karen ever again. So she did have money in her savings account that has never been touched. And she actually had a plane ticket to go home to Southern California for Christmas that obviously was never used. So she had plans, like she was going to go see her family. So her aunt Annie realized Karen was missing when she went to go pick her up from the daycare later that day, about three hours later, and learned that Karen had never even arrived there. So Annie called Karen's mom, Mary, to ask if she'd heard from Karen since that morning. She hadn't. So Mary actually made the trek up to Eureka to try to like look for her Karen along with Annie. She would stay there for six months. Wow. And they never found her. Multiple searches were conducted, including multiple canine searches. They never found any evidence of Karen ever. So apparently a certain Bob Durst visited Annie Casper's shoe store several times in March of 1998, which is four months after Karen disappeared. And he obviously, like we said, resembles the sketch of the man wanted for questioning in Karen's case, the driver of the car. So investigators looked into the possibility that maybe Bob was in the Eureka area at the time of Karen's disappearance. And even though he's never been charged with any involvement, it seems pretty likely that he could have been there because by the late 1990s, Bob had a house there. He had spent- Yes, in Trinidad. 
Yeah. About 50 to 60% of his time we, as that we know of was spent out there because his friend, Diane, Bushi, Bushi, something like that. Diane B. Diane B. <laughs> his friend had sold him a house and she confirmed it, confirmed that he was there a lot of the time. Okay. So it was obviously at the time where Karen went missing. Again, with the female friends. He had, exactly. He also had an office in Eureka and he once filled out a lease application with the lie that he had been a chief botanist for a Eureka lumber company for 15 years. I'm going to throw up. I'm actually going to throw up in my mouth. You know that he was high as hell. Yeah. And just being like, I'm I'm a a botanist today. Like also like this is again, I know this is the late 90s. So it may it may not have been like as in full swing, but this is weed country. Arcata, Eureka, Trinidad, all Humboldt County area is this is where all of the weed is grown. You know, it's a huge drug manufacturer area. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I can't remember what it was called, something on Netflix, Murder Mountain, I yeah. think, or Murder in yeah. the Mountains. It was all Humboldt County weed trade murders. Mm-hmm series of murders. There's a lot of women who have gone missing from that area, but it's very interesting that he would show up at the same store. Yeah. Until I read that part, I'm like, well, I mean, it could be anybody, right? Like, okay, Mm -hmm. the sketch, we don't, eyewitness accounts are never really great, but he went to her aunt's store several times. Yeah. Cause you okay. can't fucking stay away. Exactly. He's a disgusting person. And I'm sorry. He lied about being a botanist for a lumber company for 15 years. Like, do you not think that like someone's going to like, Oh, I don't know that name. Oh, well he worked for you for 15 years. Like you don't recall him ever. Like if they call the references, like that's just, no, idiotic. he's just talking a game, like, a ridiculous idiotic. game. But a little bit about Karen, I just wanted to add, she was a really good student. She was within a semester of graduating high school and she was going to attend Humboldt State University and possibly study law or political science. And it was really funny because I read this one article that said she was like a Pisces argumentative independent girl and that her family said that at first when she went missing, they couldn't help but think how pissed she would have been because like her face was plastered all over like the missing persons posters and stuff. And that she just would have been pissed off that like her picture was everywhere. And also she really liked the smashing pumpkins and after the intro to last episode i just had to add that little tidbit it all comes back around it does but unfortunately her case remains unsolved we don't know bob was never officially again interviewed in relation to her disappearance either but police definitely you know have him listed as a possible person of interest karen is described as a white female she would be 40 years old at this time she was 5'5 130 pounds with sandy brown hair about neck length and blue green eyes she has pierced ears and was last seen wearing a long sleeve tan shirt, baggy dark brown corduroy pants, tan leather buckled shoes, small hoop earrings, three silver rings, and a silver necklace with a crystal. And she was also carrying a Nalgene water bottle. Anyone with any information can call the Eureka Police Department at 707-441-4044. Wow, another person like who just happens to be happens to be around. I'm sorry, I'm just gonna, I just. They're both extremely likely candidates. Yeah. I have one more her name is Sandra Lee Hopler. I got very into unsolved murders in the mid 1960s in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, because I thought, okay, Bob's in college. We don't really know a whole lot about what he's doing. 
the more I look at Bob, the more he reminds me of Israel Keys. Yes. So I am like, okay, he had his, he killed Suzanne, we believe. Yeah. In sort of the same window. I started looking in that area and I found the disappearance of a girl named Sandra Lee Hoffler in 1973. I think what we're starting to see, not so much with Lynn, but more with Karen, Mm -hmm. is that Bob is cruising, looking around. It sort of reminds me of Ted Bundy too. Mm -hmm. He's out kind of trolling for women because how else do you find yourself in these situations again and again? Got deviant behavior. He's doing ridiculous things in stores. He's shoplifting. He's pissing on the candy rack. He's trespassing on people's property because he's got nothing but time on his hands. So Sandra Lee Hopler, she went missing from La Plume, Pennsylvania. She went missing in 1973 and she was 18 years old at the time. She was last seen on September 29th of 1973 and she was a student at Keystone Junior College. Again, same Mm-hmm. type of situation that we see Lynn and Karen, although she was in high school, same, right. very, very similar kind of yeah. age group. Sandra had told her roommate that she was going to New York City for a visit. Again with the New York. And she was last seen at the bus stop waiting for the bus to go to New York City. She never returned home and has never been heard from again. Her, the details in her case are very sparse, especially because she was at a bus stop, especially because I can see the scenario where it's like, where are you headed? I'm going to the city. Mm -hmm. Well, me too, you know, or just something like that. So again, she was last seen on September 29th, 1973. She was five foot four and 125 pounds. Again, very, very Very similar. similar. She was a Caucasian female with light brown hair and hazel eyes. She was last seen wearing a dark colored blouse, a burgundy blazer, a new watch, a Seiko watch with a gold face. And she was carrying a tan purse with a shoulder strap. But anyone with information on Sandra Lee Hopler's disappearance is encouraged to contact Pennsylvania State Police at 570-963-3156. I honestly could, you could cop it to, he could be anywhere within the freaking United States. He was everywhere. California, exactly. Texas, New Orleans, New York, Pennsylvania, like all the Vermont, Maine, yeah. who the fuck knows? You, know what you I mean? don't know where he was. You don't know what he was doing. He has enough money to not fly commercial. You can't trace him. It's like Israel Keys. cash on hand at any point so it's not even there's not even a paper trail he just has mad cash just just handing out money he can dress as an ugly mute woman and we wouldn't know latex mask (laughs) exactly all of it all the things surveillance facial recognition forget it you're not going to get it from bob because you're not going to be able to tell where that yeah it's such a rabbit hole and Um, actually now that you mention it remember when i said what my mom and i did for mother's day this past mother's day mm -hmm. and we went to suny cobleskill to look at where a girl that she knew growing up Catherine Coloje, her body had been found she was murdered obviously and and she was found in a field like in right outside of suny cobleskill it was 1974 she's 17 she looks exactly like kathy her name is kathy oh my god carly now granted her body was found and it was placed the way that it was right which is not like bob it's unlike bob i will give you that very unlike him because the only time about well mostly unlike him because obviously we have susan's body and we have morris's body yeah Both different situations but mm-hmm. with like the Catherine, the karen the sandy the lynn situation freshman in college she's from long island originally she went to suny cobble skill she was walking home from the bars i'm telling you one mile away from the state campus okay and she was possibly witnessed getting into a car 
car that looked a lot like a bug, possibly tan, maybe yellow, maybe whenever we're not really sure. Karen getting picked <sighs> up. It's yeah. 1974. And it's so true. A lot, they don't know who did it, but they think it's someone who at least had some sort of intimate knowledge of Colville skill because it's such a small town and where Kathy was found it doesn't make sense that because it was like such an off of the beaten track Mm -hmm. road like in the country or whatever but it's also super close to the highway we don't know where he was we don't know what he was doing he so easily could have been right in in that area Carly and by Nick's own admission they're going out trolling for women together Exactly. So he's probably saying, oh, I went upstate to whatever for the weekend. And I had this, you know, oh, God. And where they were in Salem that you're right. You could easily pick up the highway. No problem. And just cruise. It's exactly what Israel Keys did here. You know, just looking around. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So we know that the FBI has looked at Bob as the Long Island serial killer and cleared him. Just think about that for a second like (laughs) just think about it it's like like just even the fact that the fbi considered it gives you an idea of what this man is capable of i mean just for them even to think that he could possibly be a viable suspect what are you doing with your fucking life like yeah like you you are definitely a scum if you are being considered like uh, (laughs) no total scum but the truth is we don't know. We don't know who all of the possible victims of Bob Durst are. If at, if we have anyone listening who has a guess, please, uh, you know, Love reach out to, to us, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email. Let us know um, if you have any theories about other women that he possibly could have victimized. And especially if their cases are unsolved or they're, they are still marked missing, because we will definitely spread the word about mm-hmm. who they are. But Carly, I think it's finally time to get into some final thoughts about Bob Durst. Oh, Jesus Christ. After all this time. After all of this. Um, well, I don't have a lot that I haven't already said. <laughs> I do. I don't have a lot of thoughts about it. I don't have a lot of thoughts that I haven't already expressed. Basically, I truly think that there are just, there is an absolute infant amount of victims that could be claimed as his. Who even knows? He has the means, he has the motive, he has the wherewithal, he has the mental capacity, he has the money, he has all of the things he could, he could have done all of it. We'll also just never forgive him for the seven Igors. What kind of a person are you? What kind of a monster? And honestly, the only final thought I wrote down on my outline is I never want to fucking talk about Bob Durst ever fucking again. Right? Like that's all. Like I just don't want to ever. So done with him. Wherever we will. We will talk about him if he gets to trial for Kathy's murder, obviously. Yeah. That's a but big I thing right now, too, is he might not. They don't to. think, you know, because of his health and all these things that he's saying that he might not be able to actually be tried. But see, while yeah. I give you the fact that he looks like an absolute piece of shit walking he around. Does. He does. But so did the Golden State Killer. And so then did D'Angelo. And he was parkouring all through his fucking cell. Like, yep, doing chin-ups. Okay. okay? And then presenting like Vlad Dracul yeah in the courtroom just like really doing exactly the same thing he's doing exactly the same thing he can't walk he has a blanket like please I do think that Bob is smarter than Joe D'Angelo that's true I do I am kind of waiting on bated breath for the but they're similar the jail cell video where Bob's doing chin-ups oh no he's actually fine he's playing this up 
I, I totally think you're right. I think that we've come to expect that from Bob. Nothing is as it seems. He's never claimed to be an honest person. Good for Jim. Jim McCormick. Jeff. Does not. Taking them all down. Jim McCormick. I cannot yes. imagine what it must be like to have waited this amount of time to see someone go down for her disappearance. Yeah. It's astronomical, unbelievable amount of time to keep people waiting, to ask to ask a victim's family, you know, if they had anything at all to cling to, like mm-hmm. even a hint of anything, mm-hmm. I might not feel like it's that different from a lot of the stories that we hear of cases that don't get solved, of people who don't sure. get justice. But like 40 years of wondering what happened to your sister and watching this son of a bitch kill other people, act brazenly, get off for murder. I mean, it's just terrible. Bob definitely has more victims. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that given the opportunity, he would have killed Doug. I think Doug should feel pretty, pretty good about the fact that he is not dead right now, because I think that he was he's, he was obviously on the list. Definitely. I think the cover-up charge will be super hard to prove, but I'm glad somebody is bringing it up because the cover-up of Bob Durst did not start with the murder of Kathy. The cover-up of Bob Durst started from age seven when he was strange and different from all the other people in the family and no one did anything Mm-hmm. Because he was loaded, because the family was loaded, because he was supposed to be the son, eldest the son, who took over the, the heir yeah. to all of it. They tried to keep a lid on it and it completely backfired. And they're all lucky to be alive. <laughs> Honestly, they are. He's, he is. He's like a John DuPont. Yeah type person. He's like a Haddon Clark, a very rich, infinite number of resources person who has legitimate mental health problems that are not, that people are just roundly ignoring. I mean, they're really, the people in that family should feel very lucky that they have their lives. Deborah, Deborah, Laying with fire, fire, dude. He's a terrible person and he does not deserve the bed that he sleeps on but he better fucking stay alive. Oh, he better. Until he answers for Kathy's murder. He doesn't get to bow out now. This is the one that Mm -hmm. he should have answered for 40 fucking years ago. And he does. He claims to have all these ailments, medical ailments, Mm -hmm. can't come to trial and do all of these things. And it's, he looks bad but i wonder if that's purposeful as well he's always kind of looked bad yeah he's never looked great he's never looked like he was doing the pinnacle of health like if he had victims before kathy i would not be surprised if you know anyone who is in the domestic violence situation i think that's a huge takeaway from this story is like that being allowed that of continuing to happen and i know a lot of people did not know but the continuance of that led to the death and destruction of so many people and families Definitely, just by him not getting caught for that murder, just opened the floodgates to so much other shit that we will probably never know. You know, exactly. I mean, the fact that you can tie him on the day to disappearances of two very visually similar women, 30 something years apart. Like, are you, are you kidding me? He never had a leash. It's like, a, it's almost a Aaron Hernandez situation. Yes. Like everybody knew what he was doing. Yeah. If your friend is dating Bob Durst, 
there are resources and help for them. There are people out there who can help you and help you get away from that person. But yeah, good riddance, Bob. Fucking good riddance. Get out of here. Sick monster. Get out of here. Bye. Bye. Listen to Straight Up Evil.